I'm Gary and this is episode 72 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today we'll be continuing our series on EVs on the market today and we'll be looking at the Audi e-tron. Before we start I wanted to remind you that if you're an all access or VIP patron subscriber you'll be listening to this on Sunday evening rather than Monday evening. The top two tiers of patrons get the episode early and they get the super duper post credit sequence where I discuss additional things in the EV and renewables area just for those subscribers. We don't actually have a post credit sequence this particular week, but you can still sign up to hear the last episode and of course get future episodes in early access. Our main topic of discussion today is Audi's e-tron. We've had episodes before in this podcast where we discuss the different EVs available on the market. The whole idea is to try and speak to listeners who've actually got these cars and have driven them for more than a couple of days. That way you get to understand what's good about them as well as what's bad. So far in this series we've covered the i3, the Nissan Leaf, the I-Pace, the Kia Soul, the Model S, the Model 3, the Kia e-Niro and the Renault Zoe. This week we're looking at Audi's first entry into the EV market, the e-tron. Last year I was lucky enough alongside co-founder Simon to get a ride in the e-tron. He was able to borrow one from a dealer for a couple of days. So I know what it's like generally. Simon has a video on the e-tron in his YouTube channel and the link is in the show notes. It must be said though, at that time I was less than impressed. Not necessarily at the car itself, but at the Audi dealership. They knew Simon was coming in to borrow the car and yet the first couple of times he went in, the car wasn't ready. Finally he got there and they gave him a, a dirty car in which the rapid charging port didn't open and, get this, there were actual cobwebs on the steering wheel. And this all goes back to what we said in an earlier episode about dealers not really wanting to push EVs as much. To help me discuss the e-tron, I'm joined today by an e-tron owner, Mr. Steve Forster. Uh, Steve Forster, I'm a a local Hampshire County councillor and uh, Hart District councillor. And I also work uh, for uh, Osprey Charging Network. Steve had an e-tron and put 15,000 miles on it. He sold it recently and has an order for an e-tron GT awaiting delivery next year, so I think he's very well placed to talk about this vehicle. What did he think about the quality of the e-tron, especially compared with the I-Pace that he used to drive? It was uh, it was quite interesting to comparing them. Um, the uh, the I-Pace, nice car, didn't have as much space as I really wanted. Um, it was a little bit harsh i have to say the handling very sporty and actually what i wanted for an everyday car was a little little bit more costing peace and quiet etc um the range on the ipace wasn't anywhere near as good as i was getting on the e-tron uh, and the build quality uh, was quite poor on the jaguar compared to uh, the audi e-tron um, in particular the software and the usability um, let alone the interior quality, etc. Looked good at a glance, but it just wasn't as as good as uh, as the e-tron. And, and I actually was fortunate enough to, to drive them literally back to back because I, the last day I owned the Jaguar, I drove it to the Audi dealer, who took it in part exchange and gave me a fabulous price for uh, from it. Uh, Audi in, um, in in Basingstoke, uh, sorry in Reading, and um, and then I drove the Audi home. And it was just chalk and cheese. The Audi was so much nicer to drive. The e-tron comes in a couple of variants. There's the 50 and the 55, which both come in quattro versions, i.e. four-wheel drive. 
And then the 55 comes in an S version and a Sportback version and an S Sportback version. The difference between these models is that the Sportback has a sloping roof at the back and the S version has a bigger motor giving a higher top speed and a shorter range. Just so I know, what was the what was the version that you had? Was it the 50, the 55? The... It was the 55 first edition. So um, it was fully loaded with the big wheels on it because I understand that um, the ones with... Um, uh, with the slightly smaller wheels, narrower tyres, uh, might get another 10 miles, 15 miles out of range. Um, but yeah, this had all the bling on it. Prices range from a little under £60,000 for the 50 Quattro to almost £90,000 for the S Sportback 55 Quattro. The 50 versions have batteries of 64.7 kilowatt hours usable, and the 55 version have batteries of 86.5 kilowatt hours usable. This gives, as expected, quite a large difference in the range. I found the um, the guessometer, the mile, the range estimator, how much you had left, was pretty good. Um, when it said you had a mile or two left, you actually had a little bit more because there was one instance where um, I drove it. Um, I was coming back from Cardiff, and I went to an Ecotricity charge point that was faulty. I then had uh, three miles of range left, and I went to um, a different charge point, um, which was uh, also faulty. Uh, they couldn't get it booted and working. Um, so I then had to drive another seven miles, and the last five of those, it was actually down below zero. It said I had no range left. I did another <laughs> five miles and, uh, and got to a, a, a charger, um, which did work, fortunately, and, uh, and I gave it a full charge. Quite a squeaky bum moment there. On average, the 50 model will get 175 miles of range, whereas the 55 will get 225 miles. Once you go to the S models, they, the more powerful motors on those cars will sap your battery a little quicker. The range on the S55 is 200 miles, but the non-S version Sportback can get 230. So what was Steve getting in his e-tron? I was getting just under 200 miles on a, on a full charge typically. Um, I had it down cruising at high speed to 150 miles on a full charge. That was um, cruising on, uh, uh, on a foreign autobahn. Um, and I had it as high as 240 miles driving it, well, commuting into London actually, um, where it was quite respectable. Obviously, all these range figures are average and will depend on weather conditions, driving style and speed. The S versions have larger motors, given power differences of about 70 kilowatts between the S and non-S versions. One of the dings that's always gone against the e-tron is that despite having such a large battery, the range is relatively short. For example, a Model 3, which has a battery almost the same size as the e-tron 55, will go an extra, I don't know, 50 miles per charge. So I asked Steve what efficiency numbers he was getting from his e-tron. Yeah, 2.3 to 2.5 miles per kilowatt. Presumably you were aware that that was the kind of efficiency you were going to get before you bought the, the, the vehicle. I was. I wasn't expecting any more than that. Um, that's exactly what I was getting out of the Jag with a slightly smaller battery. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I compare that to the i3 where I was getting 3.7, 3.9 with my driving. Um, my wife's Hyundai Kona we consistently get 4.5 miles per kilowatt. Uh, but I think that indicates that I'm not the most gentle of drivers. With EVs, especially big thirsty ones, there's always the question of, can it do really long journeys without lots and lots of stops? So I asked Steve how far he'd uh, actually driven his. And uh, I did one to central France 
and uh, one um, to the uh, Ardennes Forest via Luxembourg and Belgium and into France. That's not a bad journey at all. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I, I was using different charge point networks partly to to just try them out. The um, the only one I found in in mainland Europe that was reliable was uh, Ionity, but I used a, a few of the others. Ended up getting some really lousy charge rates at some of them. You know, supposedly fifty kilowatt delivering twenty or so uh, to an empty uh, e-tron with a nice warm battery. Oof. Um, so it was it was a good trip, and I only experienced range anxiety on the trip to the Ardennes once when we had five charges in a row that uh, that weren't functioning, uh, and I ended up having to stop early uh, for an overnight stop and trickle charge it at three kilowatts overnight to actually be able to make um, another charger. But that was extreme. The other the other charges were fine. Uh, and the trip to the middle of France, um, to the Dordogne area, uh, was tremendous. I had no problems on that second trip. Um, the first one was right at the early ownership of the vehicle. The second one, uh, over a year later, and it was amazing how much better the infrastructure was. Let's have a quick look at the infamous charging curve. Uh, I've never actually seen it on a graph, but I, I've experienced it. Um, the e-tron was was stunning, actually, um, compared to anything else that I've owned. Mm-hmm. Um, from from naught to ninety uh, percent, it pretty much charged flat out at whatever you, um, the charge point you plugged it into. Um, and on the ultra high speed uh, HPC network, um, I was getting charge speeds, if I remember rightly, of one hundred and seventy miles an hour. It peaked at. Yeah, basically 150, 152 kilowatts. Um, it would uh, it would charge at. Um, so uh, no, that's that's wrong. Was it 100 kilowatts? It was charging at. I can't remember now. Sorry. Well, in in theory, according to the charge curve, it will peak at 155. Yeah, it was 152. That's right. Uh, let me see. On a suitably high-powered charger, the curve climbs from about 130 kilowatts at 12 percent up to 155 kilowatts at 70 percent. Then it steps down briefly to 150 before climbing again to about 153 at 78%. And then it starts to throttle and drops fairly steeply down to about 115 at 82% before tailing off to about 50 kilowatts at 95%. So That sounds absolutely right. And and yeah. that was way better than anything else I've driven. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, while people sort of ding the the iPace and the e-tron for having bad efficiency, for the e-tron specifically, the charge curve is one of those things that people look at and say, wow. And I mean, you've just done that because you've, you've said that on something like a 50 kilowatt charger, it would give you 50 kilowatts pretty much the whole way up to 100%, which is quite phenomenal, really, isn't it? The onboard charger is capped at 11 kilowatts on three-phase units, meaning a full charge will take about nine hours. We've already mentioned how much the e-tron cost, and for a car of that price, you'd expect it to be pretty much perfect. Did Steve find anything he didn't like about it? Yes, I I had the um, uh, the first edition, which had the uh, electronic mirrors. Mm-hmm. Um, great gadget, but they just aren't as good as a conventional uh, mirror. Um, very difficult to um, to gauge perspective in them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it just yeah doesn't doesn't work. I, I I wouldn't go for that option again. And how was the um, the user interface 
you know, to, to actually, you know, the touch screens and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Was it intuitive, etc.? Uh, reasonably intuitive. Some of it required too many presses on the touch screen mm-hmm. um, and wasn't easy enough to get to. Um, it was generally a nice, nice interface and fairly logical, but there were a few bits that were just a little bit buried. Um, but the software worked quite well. Um, CarPlay on it, uh, which I used extensively, was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no problems with that. The voice recognition was pretty poor. Um, and the uh, the onboard map, though, the onboard nav, I was really impressed with the traffic and the, uh, that element was really good. But actually the routing it gave you wasn't as good as a TomTom. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think in terms of navigation devices, I've yet to find any, any car device or anyone else that is uh, a, a patch on using a TomTom. And did the e-tron... Uh, navigation database have up-to-date chargers or was that sort of a one-off thing that that came with the install and um, um you know you had to I sort did, of update it yourself i did get it updated um i popped into the dealer a few times and they did it for me because I'm, I'm i'm lazy i don't see why i should have to do it the over the air updates it only ever did one in the period i owned it as far as i know um the um basically i resort to zapmap um, yeah. I, I find ZapMap is is the only accurate source. Uh, the Etron's um, database was was wonderful for Ionity, but at the time they had one charger in the UK. Um, for everyone else, it was it was out of date. Quite a lot of the locations were in the wrong place. You, know, you okay. you'd actually drive to the charger and find it's not there, <laughs> two hundred and fifty meters away. Um, but if I used ZapMap, it was the, the best way to do it. I wish ZapMap had a CarPlay option. I have it on very good authority that they do. It just hasn't been released to the uh, the public yet. They're beta testing it at the moment. I would happily beta test it for them. I'd love to do that. I have seen a screenshot of CarPlay with a ZapMap icon on it. Sounds good. Yeah, because that's something I'm definitely after as well. Um. And hopefully I might get uh, Melanie Shufflebottom from ZapMap onto the, uh, the podcast to have a chat about that at some point. That would be really interesting. I think what, what they're doing is, is, is fabulous. I'm, I'm not so sure about ZapPay because I think there's better mechanisms, but I'm sure that'll evolve over time. Um, but I think in terms of a, a, a resource on finding charges, seeing whether they're in use, etc., any charge point operator that isn't on, uh, on ZapMap and, and giving real-time delivery, I think, is, is completely failing to uh, to judge the public. What about a feature or function that Steve did like that he didn't think he would or that he wasn't aware of? Uh, the heat, heated uh, seats and the remote control of them was really nice, actually. Um, the app that you've got um, was something uh, that worked reliably for me. I know some people have had some problems. I didn't have any trouble. Mine worked from day one. And uh, I love the ability uh, to be able to either schedule it or just hit a button, warm the car up, but actually warm up the uh, the interior of the car, um, which uh, I really loved. And overall, did it live up to the expectation? It exceeded my expectations, actually. I was, I was, I was stunned by how good a car it was. Um, as I said earlier, I've been fortunate enough to drive some some pretty amazing supercars, and and 
most of the, the, the you know, seven series BMWs, A8s, um, Mercedes S-Class, etc. I've lived with them for many years. And I have to say the uh, the e-tron was a joy to drive, beautifully refined. Um, the ride quality on it, that's probably the standout on, on, on it. The suspension, I had the full adaptive suspension. Uh, the, it was just sublime. But when you wanted to hustle and put it in dynamic mode, which I did around the twisty roads in the Ardennes and in some mountains in France, um, it was just remarkable for a big, heavy car how you didn't realise that it was such a big, heavy car. It just felt like a – it actually drove a little bit like a 911. Oh, really? Mm, I was really impressed with it. Yes, you knew there was weight, but the brakes were good. The handling was lovely. Um, I, I, I was just blown away by it, yet it was refined and, and beautifully quiet. Many thanks to Steve for his time. His contact details are in the show notes. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. Our good friends at Amazon have revealed yet another electric vehicle that they're developing. It's called the Zoox. I think that's the correct pronunciation, Z-O-O-X. Zoox. And it's a completely autonomous ride-hailing vehicle which seats four people in a 2x2 face-to-face configuration. It has no steering wheel. It uses cameras, radar and LiDAR to view a 270-degree field of view in all four corners of the vehicle. And it has a massive 133 kilowatt hour battery, allowing it to do 16 hours of operation per day. It's primarily designed for city use, and it's currently being trialled in places like Las Vegas, San Francisco, and Foster City. Wherever that is. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, please do. Uh, And the newsletter. Also, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. You can donate whatever you want per month. We have people donating just a dollar, people donating three, people donating ten, people donating twenty. Every little helps. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review. Five star would be very helpful, uh, as this helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, every now and then he likes to reminisce about when he was younger and he had his first tricycle. Even then, he loved to trick it out and soup it up. It was fully loaded with the big wheels on it, because I understand that um, the ones with um, uh, with the slightly smaller wheels, narrower tyres, might get another 10 miles, 15 miles out of range. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.